This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan. The basic principle of an electoral democracy is one person, one vote. Unfortunately, this simple but profound principle is not adhered to by many countries, including Malaysia. What if I told you that the value of your vote and the value of your friend's vote from a different constituency could be highly unequal? What if I told you that instead of one person, one vote, it's some people one vote, some people ten, depending on where you live? To address this issue, Bursay, alongside 30 election management bodies and civil society participants from eight countries, have come together in a conference and formulated a joint declaration titled the Kuala Lumpur Declaration on Apportionment and Boundary Delimitation. Joining me on the show today to unpack this are Adi Aman. He's a Senior Program Manager of International IDEA, which is the International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance. International IDEA is the main organiser of the conference. And we also have with me Ui Kok In. He's the Executive Director at Bursay. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you all? Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. So, Adi, let me start with you. What is the Kuala Lumpur Declaration on Apportionment and Boundary Delimitation? May I just clarify that the declaration is a declaration of minds, not institutions, uh, meaning the minds of the individuals that were present. But if there are organizations such as Bersay uh, who would like to, to adopt it and promote it, that's mostly welcomed. We got together as a, a, a group of uh, individuals concerned about the uh, boundary delimitation process and also the um, the value of uh, the, the voters' votes in their respective countries. So we got together to uh, to to come up with a um, a joint uh, collection of thinking. Um, as to what could be the problem and what could be the solution moving forward. And that's what the declaration is. It enshrines the thinking. So who is involved in this declaration um, and what inspired it? Why Why now? Why is this such an important moment yeah. to have this declaration? Yeah, it's... Um, um, we have observed in a number of countries where there is such a disparity uh, and diversity hmm. of um, number of uh, people or voters in the constituency. And that, as, as you mentioned, it affects the value of one's vote. And, uh, and that affects uh, equality um, in the... Um, in politics and elections. And, and therefore, we have um, uh, gathered uh, individuals from uh, academia, from civil society organizations, from electoral management bodies who are uh, concerned about this uh, matter. And why now? Um, because uh, we finally got around to doing it, <laughs> but also... <laughs> But also because uh, in a number of countries there uh, there are uh, upcoming triggers that uh, may give way to 
a redelineation of electoral boundaries. So it's it's uh, that's that's how the timing was. For example, in India, uh, there hasn't been any redelineation for the last fifty years, um, and uh, it's it's about a couple of decades in Papua New Guinea, for example, um, and therefore it's it's time for uh, these uh, uh, groups of stakeholders to get together and um, and think of uh, a way to uh, to rectify the situation and uh, I think Ohin can can speak more on the Malaysian context where um, it is something that uh, that of, uh, that is of concern and uh, needs to be thought about Kokin, what do you think why why was it important for Bursay? to be part of this movement, to be part of this joint declaration? I think, as Adi mentioned, we have uh, like 30 representatives from CSO and uh, election commissions from about eight countries, uh, academics as well. So from the Malaysian perspective, uh, you know, I must mention Dindak Malaysia as well, who is also one of the partners for this uh, roundtable. So I think we see two catalysts or triggers, if you like, that really make this roundtable even more timely. The first one is the constitutional amendments of Undi 18 and automatic voter registration. So with this new influx of millions of new voters into existing constituencies, yeah, you are actually worsening the state of malapportionment in Malaysia. And as we can discuss later, we have now concrete data that show that the malapportionment has become much worse as a result of these two otherwise progressive constitution amendments. The second factor is um, the delineation timeline. So in Malaysia, delineation or also known as redrawing of electoral boundaries is something that can only occur after an interval of at least eight years. Right. It doesn't have to be done exactly eight years after the last round, but you can start after that. You can have a longer time, you can take 10 years, but a minimum of eight years. So it's going to happen soon if they want to exercise the right to implement it. And in fact, this week alone, we have both Minister uh, W.C. Azalina Omansai and also Deputy Minister Ram Kapal in Parliament yesterday uh, saying that delineation has started in Sarawak, which is not, I think, it's not exactly true because Delineation can only start if you have uh, the election commission has informed the as uh, prime minister and parliament, and they should publish a public notice or gazette. Right. So maybe he meant that studies have been started and so on, but the actual process it should start with that public notice. Right. So Adi, what are the key principles of this declaration, um, and its significance to the democratic process? Yeah. The the first and. <clears throat> and foremost is what uh, you've mentioned earlier about the, the value of one's vote. So we have a universal principle called one person, one vote, one value. So um, every person, every voter may have one vote, but the value of those votes may differ from one uh, voter to another, depending on where uh, you live and which constituency you belong to. So, for example, in a constituency with, say, 10,000 um, uh, eligible voters um, uh, compared to another constituency with 50,000 or 30,000 um, eligible voters, um, your vote in 
uh, along in 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 your ten thousand uh, size community has a greater value uh, compared to those uh, thirty thousand. Because just imagine one uh, uh, one cake is divided into ten thousand in one instance, and another for thirty thousand. So there is a difference in value there. So that's one principle that uh, we uh, emphasize. And second is the need for uh, boundaries to be delimited by an independent authority. So it, it, it shouldn't be a partisan group or a, a clearly biased group that draw these boundaries. And uh, next is the, that in drawing the boundaries, you've got to absence or you've got to steer yourselves away from political considerations. Um, uh, you've got to just uh, base yourselves on, on numbers, uh, not numbers of votes that, <laughs> that a party gains, but the number of population, a number of voters, uh, depending on the country um, itself. Um, and then also, um, there has to be meaningful public consultation process. Now, the, the stress here is in the word meaningful, because you can have public consultation, which is purely procedural, and then uh, just get on with uh, whatever the boundary authority wants to do right. without any taking into consideration the, the public inputs. So meaningful means that the uh, independent boundary uh, authority needs to review all the inputs and provide uh, uh, reasoning for uh, any decision they make, not just, uh, okay, we hear you, but this is what we've decided uh, without any justification. So those are the four uh, main points that uh, is enshrined in the declaration. Kokin, I want to dive into this concept of one person, one vote um, on a deeper level, because I think um, at its core, this is the the the, the core principle that um, mm -hmm. you know is behind the declaration, right? Um, what is the the concept of one person, one vote? Why is it important? And what does it mean to the common person when this concept is diluted? If, if I may chip in, mm -hmm. um, let's use a more simple concept to right. demonstrate this uh, the importance of uh, one person, one vote. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not sure if the listeners, you know, in your school days, how do you choose your class monitor, your <laughs> ketua dajat, ketua tingkatan, right. the head of the classroom, so to speak, right? So imagine in a class of 30 students, you choose the monitor. Everyone has a right to vote for and then choose the monitor, right? But what if suddenly one student gets four votes? <laughs> one student only get one vote. Right. So I think that that illustrate, oh, wow, this is intuitively we understand is unfair. Why is this person has four votes? This person has three votes. I only have one vote. Intuitively, we know that that is morally unjust, right? right? When we um, play it out on the electoral arena, this is exactly what's happening. When we have severe malapportionment, when we have gerrymandering, um, I think this is why this declaration is important uh, to basically illustrate that how we can best stick to the one person, one vote uh, value. 
Okay, I do want to mention another thing, which is mm-hmm. this shouldn't be just a normative or moralistic debate. It's also about legalistic and constitutional, because in Malaysia, the 13th schedule of the federal constitution does specify that we must respect one person, one vote in the form of approximately equal. The, so the constitution does say that um, you know the constituency in the same state must have approximately the same number of electors. So when you know we have constituencies in the same state, yeah, bukan interstate, intrastate, that varies as much as four times over the number of the population in the neighboring constituency, that is you know constitutionally questionable that you are not respecting what is accorded in the constitution. Uh, I think you painted a really um, good picture for people to really understand what's going on. Could you give us some data on? you know, these differing constituency sizes, the biggest constituency versus the smallest constituency and things like that and and, and the margin of differences? Yes. So, for example, in um, Selangor, mm-hmm. in Kapah and Sabah Bernam, um, the difference is if you, the same state, which, you know, you can drive over in like 40 minutes. The difference of 40 minutes, but... In Kappa, your vote is perhaps just 25% of the one person's vote in Sabah Burnham because Sabah Burnham has much fewer number of electors. Thus, their vote value matters more, right? Um, in Perak, in Sarawak, and Penang, I believe, we have uh, similar instances where you know as much as five times the the difference yeah? uh, in the same state I think I believe Sarawak after AVR and Undi 18 uh, you have in the same state constituency that differed in the size as much as five times the multiply so this is uh, you know unacceptable uh, we previously in the constitution before the amendment in the 1970s uh, there is a deviation limit a clear limit quantifiable say it cannot be more than 33% of the state average. So, for example, if the average size of the constituency in that state is, let's say, 50,000 voters. Okay, we understand there there has to be deviation. We cannot make everyone fit in the box. So, the deviation cannot be more than 30% or less, um, you know, less than 30% of the state average. But that quantifiable limit has been removed in the 1970s and that is why we have the situation today. Um, uh, as 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 Kokin just said, that it's not, it's very qualitative. It's not quantitative. Uh, so the declaration uh, urges policymakers to to make it uh, quantifiable. Um, and in fact, based on uh, best practices in the world, uh, we have chosen a maximum deviation of ten percent from the average. Uh, that's that's our definition of approximately equal. Right. And Adi, based on, um, you know, whatever Kokin was giving the numbers and, and highlighting how, um, you know, unequal things have become in terms of what we're talking about in Malaysia, um, is it, do you see similar patterns in um, other countries in the region? Yes. And a lot of them are actually based on just uh, negligence. Uh, for, as, as I mentioned, uh, India, Papua New Guinea, they haven't redelineated in in decades. And that um, uh, uh, naturally make the uh, parity 
between, uh, between constituencies um, uh, just off the charts uh, because people move, uh, there's population growth uh, or population shrinkage. Uh, so you do have to review uh, from time to time. And uh, we have addressed this in, a, in the declaration as well, that the review needs to happen after uh, two parliamentary terms. Let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Adi Aman, Senior Program Manager of International Idea and Ui Kok Hin, Executive Director of Bursay. We will continue this conversation after these messages. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is Adi Aman, Senior Program Manager of the International Idea and Ui Kok Hin, Executive Director at Bursay. And we're unpacking the Kuala Lumpur Declaration on Apportionment and Boundary Delimitation. Now, this conversation will also be available on podcast. So do subscribe to us. You can look up Beyond the Ballot Box on the BFM app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, Kok Hin, now, before the break, um, Adi mentioned something interesting. He said that in many countries around the region, one of the key things that have led to this, um, you know, unequal um, boundary sizes, which uh, dilutes the concept of one person, one vote, is negligence. Um, you know, just not doing the, 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 you know, redrawing the boundaries and, and balancing out, um, you know, over the many years or decades. What accounts for the democratic backsliding in Malaysia with regard to malapportionment? You, you touched on this a little bit before the break, but how did we reach this point? Especially since, like you said, the federal constitution um, doesn't you know, endorse this, right? So to speak, the federal constitution explicitly tells us to respect um, um, the, the, you know, the, the balance of, of these boundaries and, and so on and so forth. How do we reach this point, Kokin? The short answer is ethnicity or race and partisan bias. And these two are quite uh, intertwined in Malaysia. But before I answer your question, since you mentioned about negligence, I was going to reserve this for my closing, but since you mentioned it, I'm going to bring it up now. Right. Uh, Deputy Minister Ram Kapal in Parliament said about the deviation process and his own state constituency, he's federal, right? But embedded in his federal constituency is two... Uh, one of the state constituencies, you know, in Pytrobong and a neighboring Ayabute. Neighboring constituencies, but they are, the difference in size is almost more than two times, or almost three times. And they are just neighboring to each other, right? Mm -hmm. We are not talking about so far apart, rural areas. We are, I mean, Penang is an island. Penang Island is an island. Right. Um, so there is a clear case of, you know, something is wrong here, severe malapportionment. And you mentioned negligence which is correct because in the last delineation in Malaysia, Penang was excluded. They did not bother to redraw the boundaries in uh, Penang and just left intact the severe malapportionment that already exists in that state. Mm. So negligence in itself is wrong, right? By saying, oh, we are not going to touch it, we are not going to redelineate the boundary, that is wrong. Because it's the duty of the Election Commission according to the federal constitution to delineate to adjust to population size and so on. Okay, coming back to, you know, uh, what are the potential roadblocks and so on. Um, to elaborate on the race and partisan thing, obviously, you know, uh, 
electoral representation, any debate or electoral representation, whether it's electoral system change that person is trying to push or electoral boundary change, it will always have these, you know, three R angles, right? Uh, especially race and religion. And you have already started to see actually some rhetoric that has been circulated online by certain party leaders that, oh, this government is going to use delineation to uh, erode uh, certain ethnic groups' power and so on. And I feel this is why it's important for this upcoming delineation exercise to have multi-party fingerprint. By that, I mean the election commission so according to the process, lah, election commission kena bagi PM, Prime Minister. Right. Prime Minister, before he put on the day one rakyat for approval, he can make amendments. So that is actually something that is wrong in this uh, process in Malaysia. PM has executive influence over the recommendation of the boundary change. But what I'm trying to say is that this should not happen in the next divination exercise. In fact, it should go through, say, parliament, right, having a debate. Or let the electoral commission's recommendation be final. Let them, then this is actually what is recommended by this declaration, right. which is applicable in the region, not just in Malaysia, saying that the recommendation made by the boundary authority should be final without any you know, amendments by executive and so on for political interest, right? So let's say in Kalau uh, Ikut Dulu lah, party in power will bulldoze through the recommendation by the majority they have. And why this is dangerous in the context now is it can easily be exploited by, you know, racial sentiments because of just the sheer composition of the ethnicity in the opposition side. Right. Right. So I think we, we really need to bring, you know, different parties together and work out what is, you know, the right way to do this. How would you respond to these um, um, sort of narratives, right, that this is going to deplete um, um, the powers of, let's say, the Malay community if we do a, a fair boundary, um, um, you know, if we draw the boundaries in a fair way, if it goes to one person, one vote, uh, you know, with that 10% margin for rural areas and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, there is always the, the criticism like you, like you bring up because everything in Malaysia, the politics is so racialized, right? What would you tell people who say, if we do this, is this going to reduce the power of the Malays and, and things like that? How would you respond? I would say this factor of fear perhaps resonate 40, 50, 30 years ago even, but it is no longer true today. And, you know, we have uh, Dorsum, Department of Statistics Malaysia, that provides data on all this. The fear back then was that urban population have a lot of non-Malay voters. So if you give you know equal representation, oh no, you will dilute the, you will give them more power and so on. But remember the biggest uh, the big constituency that I was comparing just now, Kappa to Sabah Bernam. Mm -hmm. You know who is the MP in Kappa? It's Perikatan National. Right. So it's no longer true that uh, urban means non-Malay voters. In fact, when you look at places like Bangi, like Shalam, in fact, urban towns in Perak, in Johor, Pasir Gudang, right? They have very sizable, in fact, in some places, even a majority of Malay. So I think it, we should no longer use race as a pretext uh, 
uh, in fact, it's more about urban voters. And in these uh, urban voters, you have multi, you know, that is a diverse group. If I may jump on this one, um, Australia, for example, they have uh, managed to overcome uh, such um, partisan debates by uh, simply focusing on on the numbers. There's a a recent um, tweet from the Australian Electoral Commission um, that shows the, the, the priorities in which they make uh, decisions in terms of, uh, but they meaning the Boundaries Commission, in terms of uh, uh, delimitation of boundaries. Uh, the first and foremost uh, are numerical considerations. If it's the number of our population, number of electors, not the number of people from certain race or religion or whatever. And and only second, they take into consideration means of travel, physical features, um, communities of interest, which which is um, which can be a highly um, uh, contested uh, subject. And uh, and only thirdly, they consider existing boundaries, um, meaning existing uh, electoral boundaries. So, so this way, they are able to uh, divorce themselves from uh, being trapped into these uh, discussions, which which can be never ending, and and prone to gerrymandering, as as we have seen in in countries like the USA. Australia is is regarded as homogeneous. Uh, it, it's actually not. It's uh, it, it's it has so many. Uh, nationalities in in the country uh, who, that have migrated into Australia over the recent decades, but when delimiting boundaries, uh, it doesn't matter if your uh, setting is homogeneous or heterogeneous. Uh, what matters is that one person, one vote, one value principle can be upheld. The next delineation exercise in Malaysia is set to take place sometime in 2026. What are the plans um, from now till then? Um, We have done this declaration. What next? So, uh, at least from Bersier's side, I'm sure we will need to, you know, eventually, when the process starts, we will need to embark on mass, you know, voter education. Because in the last round of delineation, Bersier actually organised citizens to file objections when there are you know, unfair delineation or even neglect, like you mentioned earlier. So Bersier, through that delineation action research team, um, spearheaded by Thomas and Wong Jinghua back then, uh, so we might need to redo something similar or maybe have a new strategy. Because back right. then, I think it was very obvious the election commission was uh, hostile and partisan. But right now, I think the relations have improved. I think we are much more, both sides have been much more professional. And uh, we, we look for, I hope that they will have their consultation engagement and their recommendation more public and transparent. And um, they will take in public feedback and so on. So that's number one. Number two, I think, like I said earlier, multi-party fingerprints. So Bursier will really try to, you know, advocate for, you know, either multi-party or parliament through the select committee on elections to basically, you know, have a say on 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 this topic, uh, rather than it being strictly uh, PM, uh, you know, and so on. But okay, the third thing that I want to mention is the um, it's very important to have an impartial, credible, 
election commission commission chief when this uh, delineation uh, actually takes place. Right. So I hope that the appointment process of the EC chief can be improved and thereby have you know public credibility and so on uh, to execute this. Um, Adi, what do you think? What are the strategies to turn this declaration into actual implementation? Yeah, uh, well, as international idea, even though we are an intergovernmental organization, not a non-governmental organization, uh, we're conscious of the fact that we are part of the international community. So our role is to um, uh, support uh, groups like Bursay who wants to explore uh, this matter uh, further um, in, in, in Malaysia. And, and also um, our role is also to inspire um, uh, thinking and discussion uh, towards uh, uh, this subject. Um, is it a problem? Who is, who is the problem for? Uh, what could be the solutions? How can we, we meaning the, the, the people of the country, um, uh, overcome the, uh, the, the issues uh, together in a deliberative way? Absolutely. So I'm all, I always want to know how the public can get involved um, in, this, in this push, right? Because um, I think it's very important. And right now, when it comes to just public consciousness, right, Kokin, especially when we look at it in, in, in Malaysia, there doesn't seem to be um, um, this huge push for this, right? Um, oftentimes when we, and understandably so, right? Uh, people are more focused on bread and butter issues, um, um, you know, the, the wages and, and things like that. That's where you have the, the, the sort of public interest in. How can the public get involved in this? And, and why should the public get involved in this? The public should be involved in this because otherwise your vote won't matter or won't matter as much, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes when friends and I gather, they say, ah, yeah, no need vote lah, because no matter who I vote, this one win anyway, because right. majority is like 50,000 votes. What that means, your vote, quote unquote, doesn't matter or not as valuable because there is a structural thing that is going on that intentionally or not reduce your vote value. And this delimitation or delineation is a once in a, decade or so opportunity to correct that structural inequality. Yeah, we haven't used the word, but it's inequality, right? Absolutely. Political inequality, in fact. Um, yeah. Adi, you want to say something? Based on the experiences we've gathered during the roundtable, we've also seen that it's, it's a matter of convenience as well uh, from the incumbents. The incumbents are already so uh, comfortable with the constituency that they have that they just resist any change. And therefore, if um, the authority to delineate boundaries fall under the legislature itself, then there is this conflict of interest uh, that perpetuates. Um, and this is why in the declaration we, uh, uh, we propose uh, boundary delimitation to be conducted by an independent authority um, and not arbitrarily decided by the legislature or other bodies. That's what we wrote. Mm. 
yeah, I think for now, Mayor Berse, Tindak Malaysia and other groups, we will hopefully start the ground running soon, you know, to educate voters on this. And then uh, when the process starts, there is an avenue for public to file objections. So that's one room for public to intervene. Another room is, I think now that we have the KL Declaration, right, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the topic of this episode, and we are thankful to, you know, International Idea for gathering the experts and so on to draft, you know, jointly draft this declaration. I think this declaration can then be used as a guide right, by both the electoral boundary, you know, uh, authority and also for public who may want to use, okay, what do we refer to? Because this is such a technical topic. What do we refer to? What are the principle? Well, it's all there here in the KL Declaration for apportionment and, you know, so, assuming that, um, you know, we do come to a point where redetonation happens, it happens in a very fair manner, what are the safeguards um, that need to be put in place to prevent the misuse or manipulation of the, de the delimitation process for political gain? Um, how do we ensure that even if we reach a point where we redistribute um, um, you know, the, the constituency sizes and all in a very fair way, how do we prevent uh, misuse and, and abuse from happening in the future? One advice that we've gotten from uh, some of the experts at the roundtable is the strict adherence to numerical values. And because that, that makes uh, things more uh, uh, tangible and precise and, and less debatable. Um, secondly, is what I've uh, mentioned earlier, that there needs to be an independent boundary authority um, uh, that, that, uh, that delimits boundaries. And uh, for, for countries that already have legal requirements or provisions that make the parliament as, uh, say, say the, the boundaries will have to be an act of parliament, then uh, another safeguard is that the, the, the parliament and the government needs to be a do-right government, right. that they feel yeah. that their role is only to rubber stamp the work of this independent authority that has gone through and considered public inputs uh, from all sides, uh, and make these um, independent and non-partisan impartial decisions. Absolutely. So I want to also spend a couple of minutes um, talking a little bit about something very interesting. Um, Adi, I want you to talk about this. Is this electoral redistricting app, right? Um, it is a really, really interesting tool. I think it's a very useful tool for a lot of people to really understand um, what we're talking about today on a deeper level. Adi, could you talk to me a little bit about this app? Sure. Uh, when we talk about electoral boundaries, uh, of course, the first thing that comes to mind, um, maps of, uh, geographical maps of areas and regions. Uh, and, um, and and secondly, as, as I mentioned, if if numerical values are uh, uh, one of the main uh, parameters parameters in uh, drawing boundaries, then uh, put the two together, you would need some kind of technological help. 
So, um, and that's what uh, that's why International Idea, together with our partner Perludem uh, from Indonesia, uh, we uh, and the QGIS community of Indonesia, uh, we created this electoral redistricting app, or uh, what we call ERA, um, so that. Uh, uh, advocates, uh, researchers, or even boundary authorities from other countries, from countries, can uh, make use of this tool um, in drawing boundaries. So, so the app uh, is capable of uh, uh, showing uh, geographical maps, capable of um, uh, joining uh, various geographical building blocks into one or more constituencies and also capable of uh, uh, making the calculations, the necessary calculations that the uh, various formula um, uh, require. Um, and uh, we just make it much simpler for, for anybody, uh, for everybody, basically, uh, because it can be quite a tedious process, and also it requires some uh, geographical information system expertise which uh, not everybody or not even some smaller countries may not have such expertise. So how can people um, use the app, um, download the app? Um, where should they go? Yeah. yeah. Uh, people can go to uh, the uh, website. It's era, E-R-A, dot idea, dot I-N-T. Uh, so if you type that into your browser you'll get to the ERA uh, website. And uh, the tool uh, can actually be used uh, either uh, online through its online version or offline, which means that you uh, download and install the uh, software into your computer. Now, the reason for the, uh, for the latter is that some, some, some authorities or uh, uh, Individuals feel that they would like to work uh, offline, which means it's more secure. Uh, then uh, that's the, that's the way to go. And also in places where internet connection is not so great, then they can simply uh, download and install the uh, application in their uh, own computer and not uh, be uh, affected by uh, internet speeds and bandwidth. So before we wrap this conversation up, would each of y'all have a final message for us? Um, starting with you, Kokin. I think that um, you know this conversation is long overdue. Uh, and now that we have a guiding document in the form of this KL Declaration for Apportionment and Boundary Delimitation, the standards have been set. We have all jointly agreed to, and I think, you know, uh, if you read the document, uh, it's available on Bursi website as well as uh, our partners' website, I believe. Um, you will find it agreeable too. And I hope that you know the members of the public as well as electoral uh, boundary uh, authority will adhere to the standards that have been, you know, I think quite thoughtfully been hashed out over two days of you know intense discussions and so on. And Let's not use old excuses, pretexts that are no longer applicable in this era of, you know, fluid political condition or in this era of, you know, constitutional amendments, Undi 18, AVR, uh, urban migration and so on. Uh, old tactics that were being used to, you know, manipulate 
the redrawing of electoral boundaries should not be applicable anymore in this era. So let's uh, stick to this guiding document and let's hope that the rules apply for all equally. Adi? Yeah, um, the, this subject is a sensitive one. And, and this is true in any country. Um, and, uh, and this is probably why not many international organizations are willing to venture into this subject. But this is nonetheless an important subject. The, the KL Declaration's content and the resolve of those who are present at the round table are evidence of the importance of this subject. Uh, but considering this is a sensitive subject, then what we uh, uh, propose is that uh, the people, in this case, the people of Malaysia, go and deliberate, discuss, talk to one another. Uh, at the end of the day, um, it's, 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 the, it's the welfare of the nation as one is at stake. Um, and if people can uh, believe that and realize that, then hopefully some uh, uh, positive outcome can be achieved. On that note, Kokin, Adi, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been speaking to Adi Aman, Senior Program Manager of International Idea, as well as Ui Kok Hin, Executive Director of Bursi. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, Spotify, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.